Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, even though we're going to be in Psalm 23 here in just a moment. We'll be looking at uh, Genesis 2 and 3 as an introduction into the text, and we're going to be looking at one of the most popular, famous, well-loved psalms in all the psaltery, which is the, the songbook of the Jewish people. And they collected these songs that spoke of their journey and spoke of their identity, and if you're visiting with us, we have been looking at a series called The Pursuit of Wisdom, and we've been in the Psalms and in the Proverbs looking at what the instructions of God are about how to live a wise life, how to live an intentional life, and how to pursue the things that God loves and that builds our relationship with him. Today, I want to focus on Psalm 23 because it's significant in that not only does it show us the instruction of God, it actually shows us deep insight into who God is uh, himself. But to do that, I want us to not only just appreciate Psalm 23, as many of us do, I want us to understand the inspiration within Psalm 23 so it can become something even more important for us. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Go all the way back into the Garden of Eden and begin to see the relationship that God has established with his people. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, but you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? So interesting, right? That there's a question posed at the end of this interaction between God and Adam and Eve that is significant, and I think often or too often forgotten. The question is, where are you? God has given them his garden. He has given them everything. All of it is free. Eve even says to the serpent, yes, he said we can eat of all of it except, and that word except changed everything. God had given them all of the garden. All of it was the work of his hands. All of it was for them to enjoy. They had done nothing to produce it. They were simply given the opportunity to partner with God in this beautiful garden. And in the midst of all of it, they were given all of this blessing with one exception. There was a tree in the middle of the garden and God said, by my authority, I'm asking you to trust me. Don't eat of that tree. Now, this, the reason I want to pose the question is, where are you, God asks, is one of those questions that parents ask when they know the answer, right? Like when they would walk in the room and you're bouncing on the bed and you're not supposed to jump on your bed because that's somewhere in the Bible, but it's not. And they come in and they say, what are you doing? They know exactly what you're doing. The question is not, what are you doing? The question is, why are you doing it? When God appears in the garden and he cries out, where are you? It's not that he can't find them. He wants them to answer the question, why are you hiding from me? What happened 
that all of a sudden we went from this to this. And to understand what Psalm 23 is offering us, I wanted us to taste of the first experience with alienation from God and realize that what God is offering us is not conditioned on our performance, it's only conditioned on his character. And for the 23rd Psalm to become something that we really relish, I want you to understand that if you spend your life focused on what God doesn't ask you to participate in or what God has told you you're not to do, you will miss what he's offering you. When our focus is on what we can't do rather than what we have in God, the 23rd Psalm is just a beautiful song or piece of poetry. But instead, what I hope to do in a world where I don't know about you, I'm tired of bad news, I'm tired of another person being sick. I'm tired of that baseball may be canceled. I'm just fed up. How about you? And I don't want to come to church and just rail against the news because it's only telling us what seems to be going on. What I actually want to do is not give you 30 minutes of reprieve. I actually want you to be able to walk out of here today fully aware that when God asks you the question, where are you? You can answer him. And if you return to him, he will receive you. That you can celebrate that this week. And no matter what happens... Nothing in the 23rd Psalm will be taken from you because it's based on God's character, not our performance. The power of the Psalm is that all of this is free to us, just like the garden. All of it is given to us by God's goodwill and all of it is for our blessing, all of it. If we stay close and we trust him. So what I simply wanna do is walk through the Psalm today and bring up five truths about God that are yours. If you're a believer, and you've allowed the work of Jesus, the complete work of Jesus in your life, then the five things that are promised in the Psalms are yours. Don't let anybody take them from you. Don't let any bad news diminish them because they cannot be taken. They're given to us by God. So we begin. He provides all we need. This is the core of the 23rd Psalm. It's the verse in the Bible that outside of Jesus wept, everybody knows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church that used King James way too much. And so growing up as a kid, I always heard this contradiction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I thought that's a pretty ugly thing to say in church. God is the king, but I'd rather have another one. And that's how I read it. And it's just a twisting of old English. But when you read it, it actually can be interpreted for us. With God, I have everything I need. This is what David is writing. This is what David is celebrating. You see, a secret of our satisfaction is who God is, not just what he does. We talked about that last week. What do we do when life gets hard and tests us? We dive deeper into God rather than run away from him. 23rd Psalm shows us what we have in God if we do remain close to him. So when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I I shall not be in want, it's actually communicating something about God rather than about us. It's less about our desire and ability to latch onto God and not let go as it is who he is. It's much like this, because God cares about me, I'll miss out on nothing. Even that tree in the middle of the garden, I'm told to leave alone. By leaving it alone, I will miss nothing and I will gain everything. I like to equate it this way. I don't know when this happened, but when Heather produced our first child named Alex and he was given to us, something changed in her that she did not possess previously to him being here and it was this. When our child would cry, I would look across the room and she would look at me and go, he's fine. He'd cry another time and she would say, he's hungry. 
He'd cry a third time, and she would look at me and say, I got him, and run across the room to save her baby's life. I don't know how she could distinguish the three cries, but she could hear the three cries, and she knew intuitively, as, pardon this expression, as his creator, exactly what was going on. I didn't get that, fellas, did you? Because I would look at her, and she's like, he's hungry, and I was like, thank you. And other times, I, the only cry I ever recognized, and it always made me giggle, was that angry cry, like they're just mad at the world, and you're like, oh, that's funny. And she's like, stop it. So anyway, that's why God gave it to her and not me. Did your, now, when I look around the room, what's fascinating to me is every mom in the room has this satisfied look on her face, like, yep, I did that. And every husband's like, I didn't. We now see. Well, the, what he's saying is, because God created me and God made me for a relationship with him, he knows what I need and he knows what I don't need. And when he tells me I don't need something, chances are I don't need it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. It's a beautiful imagery. I love what Martin Luther says about this particular verse. A lifetime ago, Luther wrote these words. He said, when you and I can use our personal pronouns correctly, when we can say the Lord is my shepherd, then we can say I shall have no wants. When we can only say the Lord is the shepherd, we're probably looking at the tree in the middle of the garden, wondering why we can't have it, wondering what is missing in our life if we don't take what we were never to take. Continuing in verse two, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This is an interesting verse for me. I won't belabor you with the story because I've shared it way too many times, but when I preached a real horrible sermon on Psalm 23 one time, a farmer in our church in Michigan took the young preacher boy to, a, to his farm in Remus, Michigan. There is a town called Remus, Michigan. And we went out to the farm and he had sheep and he taught me a lesson on the 23rd Psalm without a bit of theology and he, it nailed it. He told me a few things about lying down in green pastures. He said, sheep are a lot like human beings. They will not lay down if they feel unsafe or unfed. If you're dissatisfied and you're not content, you will not relax and lay down. A good shepherd knows how to take his sheep to a place of green pastures where they can receive what they need and they trust him enough to lie down and enjoy what he's provided. Notice how this is more about the character of God and our relationship with him than it is our performance. God will be faithful. And if you trust him, he will lead you to green pastures because only contented sheep lie down. He'll also lead you beside quiet waters. There's something mesmerizing about quiet water. And sheep won't go near running water that's rapid or in turmoil if they don't, because sheep can't swim. And so they won't put themselves in water where they feel unsafe. So a shepherd has to lead them because they need water. He has to lead them against their fears to calm places. But not all still water is good water. Some of it's stagnant and polluted and nasty. So a shepherd not only has to provide safety and provision for his sheep, but he also has to to choose well and guide them safely. And if they trust him, they will go and they will drink and they will be replenished. This all goes back to the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3. Where are you? Are you hiding from his provision? Are you in the bushes, naked, scared of him, trying to stay away so he doesn't see what you've done when he already knows who you are and where you're at? Because if you see what he's offering you, he wants to lead you to places that you need to be, places that he can provide for you what you need. The second thing that we see in the 23rd Psalm is that he guides us well. It says in verse three, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, this is not an ego thing. God's not 
having us do the right thing so he looks awesome. He actually has us do the right thing so that the world will see the paths we're on according to Proverbs and they will glorify our father because they realize he's leading us well. He's guiding us in this path of righteousness. And what does righteousness mean? It means I'm right with God, I'm right with you, and I'm right with my own soul. Righteousness is not just about perfection and performance. It's actually about relationship. It's solely about relationship. It's what shalom is. God and I are good, you and I are good, and I can live at peace in my own heart because I'm living the life that I know I was created to live. Who, who does that? Do I perform it? No. God, as my good shepherd, actually leads me down the path if I trust him. It goes back to Psalm 1 and 2. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God and his instruction. It's not only knowing what God wants, but actually experiencing it by trusting it. And he is that good shepherd that provides us and I'm going to say something that I know could be slightly controversial to some, although it won't be much to fight about, is that we need to understand that as a good shepherd, he has led us even to an awareness of who he is. Creation speaks of him. He creates faith in us. There's not a person hearing my voice, whether you're watching it at home or you're here in this room, there's not a person who will hear my voice today who discovered God on their own. It was revealed to them. God created faith in you. There was a moment in time when the Holy Spirit brought conviction upon you and you realized with everything you were that there is a God, that your relationship with him was not right. You were hiding in the bushes naked and full of shame and he cried out, where are you? And you said timidly, I'm here. And God called you out of that into life. That's called faith. That was produced by God in us, not by us all of a sudden figuring this out because we're so intelligent or we're so spiritually minded or we're so in-depth. Actually, we were just receiving. And isn't the Psalm, 20, the 23rd Psalm, isn't it a Psalm simply about receiving who God is and enjoying all that that means? And so you have this moment where we're called by faith to trust in God and who he is. See, we can depend on the Lord to guide decisions that will keep us in the center of his will. He wants us right with him and right with one another and right within ourselves. He wants us to walk in peace and hope and joy. That's why he answers our prayers. That's why he gave us the scripture. That's why the Holy Spirit guides and leads us. All so that we can live the life that shows what the kingdom is all about. The third thing the scripture teaches here is that he protects us in every threat. Now, I, I wrote specifically here, not that he protects us from every threat, but he protects us in every threat. Look at verse four, and this is the one verse that I absolutely misunderstood. It took me years to try to figure out what was being said here. And it, you folks have probably already figured it out, but let me walk through what I learned. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, David would have understood the shadow of death. Saul's assassins were trying to kill him. He had enemy nations trying to kill him. He had one of his own sons try to overthrow his kingdom and have him put to death. David would have understood how close life comes to death each and every day. And he thanked God in many of his Psalms for God's deliverance. He called him a rock. He called him a refuge. He called him a fortress. He called him a cave. He said, God, you've protected me. You've placed your hands around me. You are faithful in all the circumstances. When my enemies have lied and tried to pursue me, you have always been my protection. So David knew what it was to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But this is what I most misunderstood in this verse. I thought it simply said that because of that, I should have no fear. But actually what he says is, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Go back to the garden. 
when we get away from what God wants to do and what he wants to provide and how he wants to care for us, then we will find that evil is present and we have reason to be fearful. When we get away from the protections of God, evil has opportunity. And so David is only crying out the truth that he says that your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. These are both offense and defensive weapons. He, he could protect with the rod, which often was just the root of a tree that was dug out at the base that would have a big knot where it formed into the tree. They would cut that away so that they would have this stick that would have this big ball on the end of it made of wood. And they would use it to thump an animal in the head or to chase someone away who's trying to steal the sheep. And they would use this to protect and provide. They'd also use the shepherd's crook. And now I know what a shepherd's crook is because I grew up on Bugs Bunny cartoons. And that's how they yanked him off stage. Some of you might understand what I'm talking about. Well, this shepherd in Michigan told me that they used the shepherd's crook to gently pull a lamb back because unlike humans, lambs are willful. So the shepherd would reach out with the crook and just guide a young lamb and train it like you would a dog on a leash or with a shock collar to protect it from harming itself. And so there's an offense and a defensive weapon that God has everything we need to protect us. And David said, when I realize, God, how you work for me and how you protect me, I find comfort. And I want right now in this day and age for you to understand the comfort available to you in God, even when this world seems to be falling apart at the seams. That God is unchanged. God is not threatened. There is nothing going on in our world right now that God's like, whoa, never saw that coming. No, he knew it all along. And he's been working to protect all of us and provide for all of us. In verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's two possible understandings of what the table he's talking about is, and both of them are reasonable. The first is that shepherds would refer to the grass up in the hills, the green grass that was really lush and, and, and plush because of the winter snows, that shepherds would take the, their sheep up there because that grass was pure and it was perfect and they could feed well. There wouldn't be noxious weeds and all the things that grow in other parts of the world. The other possible rendition is that he actually prepared a table in his home to protect him from enemies. And this would go back to the hospitality of those days. That if someone entered your home, you were required as the homeowner to provide them protection. You might remember some really hard graphic stories in the Old Testament about guests coming to town visiting and the people of the town wanted to harm them and the homeowners put their lives on the line to say, you will not harm them under my protection. Maybe David's addressing both or either but they make the same point, don't they? That he provides a table in the presence of enemies, that God will be the one who answers our critics. God will be the one who answers those who are against us. The fourth thing he says is just so simple. He restores my soul. This is found right there in verse three, just a direct quote. I was told in some research I did, and I found it fascinating that the word restores actually refers to this uh, Concept of turning something over that's been downcast. You might remember a passage in your scripture that says, why so downcast, O my soul, put your trust in God? Well, actually a downcast sheep, and I could totally relate to this, maybe you can too. They say that sometimes sheep would get eating and eating and eating, I can relate, and eating and eating, and they lay down on their side because their stomach was so full, and they would turn over into a small valley or a dip in the hillside, and they couldn't flip themselves back over. They weren't strong enough. Their bellies were so, just call it Thanksgiving afternoon. And there they lay in this ditch and they couldn't turn themselves over. And the shepherd would have to come, that's called a downcast lamb. They would have to come and pick that lamb up and set it back up on its feet. But I learned something from this farmer. He said that when they would sit like that, the blood would rush out of their legs and their legs would fall asleep. Now, you ever had that experience? 
You ever sat too long in a position, didn't know it, you tried to get up and walk and thought you'd never walk the day in your life? I remember one time, it was probably a second or third date, Heather made the mistake of sitting really close to me and I thought I'd never get that chance again, so I put my arm around her and she was really cute and smelled nice and I liked her and I didn't want her to go away and so I stayed there and about halfway through the movie, I couldn't feel my fingers, wrist, elbow, it was up to my shoulder and I thought, I don't know what to do, but I didn't want to take my arm down because I didn't want her to go away. And after the movie, she went up to use the restroom and I sat in the chair and I could not, for God is my witness, I couldn't move my arm. And I pulled it down and laid it next to me. It weighed 700 pounds. I had no control of it. And she sat down next to me and grabbed my hand to, to, to say, let's go. And I was like, I can't feel a thing. And she was mad at me. Why didn't you put your arm down? I thought, because you were going to leave. You know, anyway, so if you ever had that experience, well, what the shepherd said to me was, if you take a lamb that's been turned upside down, whose legs are asleep, and you set the weight of that down, it'll break their legs. And if the lamb's legs are broken, the lamb gets put down. Isn't it fascinating that David would use that kind of imagery to suggest that when God finds us in trouble, he gently massages us in such a way that he gives us time to get back on our feet? Doesn't that sound like your God? Because it sure sounds like my God. And in a world that wonders, if God care at all what's going on in our country, he will gently set us back on our feet if we are downcast because that's his character. That's who he is. And that's what we should rejoice in. He even says in verse five, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Shepherds would put this mixture together of, of lotions and it would be berries and it would be uh, anointing oil and so forth. And they would rub it around the lamb's face, around the nose, the mouth, and the eyes to keep the bugs away, also to, to heal uh, as an uh, anointing toward their, their scrapes that they go through in the bushes and, and wherever they're meandering. And it was just this constant daily care for even the little inconveniences that they face. So with all of that, we come to the fifth and final point just what is offered to us by God in relationship to him. He blesses us in love. I actually thought about just preaching the sixth verse because there's so many nuances to it that it would be fun to share them all with you, but I won't today. Verse six simply says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I used to read that verse as if it was a payment and reward. That if I gave God goodness and mercy, that he would give me love. I misread it. Because actually, once again, it's God doing all the work. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I do nothing. In fact, the word follow in the Hebrew can also be translated, and I think effectively, it can be translated pursue. So when I looked up the word, I thought, that's one of the possible meanings, and it makes sense here, that the mercy and love of God pursues me every day of my life, even when I'm hiding in the bushes naked because I've rebelled. God never stops caring. Doesn't it sound like Jesus when he said there was a man who had 100 sheep and one went down the hill and he left the 99 and pursued the one? Why? Because he cared about the one? It says that his love and his mercy will pursue us. God does not get disgusted with us, that he walks away saying, I'm done, you've had your last chance. God is consistently that passionate person who loves our soul and pursues us with all he is. And when we allow his pursuit of us, when we allow his love and mercy to capture us, we will spend the rest of our days in the house of the Lord forever. Now, all the way back to Genesis, chapters two and three. Where are you? God knows. Why are you hiding in shame? Why are you hiding in pain? Why are you hiding in destruction? Come out. And then what's beautiful about the whole story in Genesis two and three is, is what God does. When they come out of the bushes, hidden by leaves, 
What does God do? He takes a part of his creation that he gave them as a gift and he takes animal skins from those animals that were sacrificed for them and God gives them clothing to cover their shame and to hide them. God is a compassionate, loving father. God is no one's fool though. So when he asks you, where are you? Give him an answer so that his mercy and love that pursues you can redeem you and cover your shame and restore you. That he can help you to dwell in his house forever. You see, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Yeah, what's interesting is the good shepherd came as a lamb. Jesus came and restored all that was lost in the Garden of Eden. All the intimacy, all the closeness, all the connection that was lost, Jesus restored it. And how did he do that? By taking it on himself. The isolation, the abandonment, the destruction. Jesus on the cross cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the moment that he cried that out, our forsakenness, our sin, our, our guilt, our pain, our separation was rejoined back to God by the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. You see, the gospel can be found even in Psalm 23, even in Genesis 2 and 3. There's not a passage that does not speak of the compassionate love of God for his people. But again, God is no fool. He's asking us where we are so that we'll return so that his love and mercy will restore. So I'm gonna ask you, are you here? Are you covered by the blood of the lamb? And I don't just mean, are you saved from your sin? No, are you in the presence of God enjoying the fellowship? Are you enjoying who he is? Are you taking full advantage as he would ask you to of his kindness, of his provisions, of all the things that he's offering you? Have you admitted your need for him? Come out of the bushes in your nakedness and return. And when, the, when God says in his wisdom, I know what you need and you don't need that tree, then we trust that we don't need that tree. And when God says you do need this, then we trust that he does need this. If you haven't, I wanna ask you to remove your focus on what you're not getting in life. And I'd love for you to focus on what you could receive in Jesus in Psalm 23. And if you have, I want you to renew yourselves in what we have in Jesus and celebrate. I just don't want this to be a 28-minute feel-good. I want you to walk out of here today going, I don't care what the news says. I know what I have in God, and I know that's enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no other needs. And if I did, he'd provide them all. I'd like you to take the elements this morning for the table. And as you prepare those, I'd like you to listen to me for just a moment as we remind ourselves what we're about to do and following a time of prayer, would ask you to together take this as a testimony in this place of what God is for us. I'd like you to renew your minds and what you have to celebrate this mini feast today, knowing that Jesus said, I will eat it again with you in my kingdom. And one day we will gather around Jesus' table and we will drink from the wine glass and we will eat the bread and we will celebrate the great feast of our conquering hero who did everything he said he would. This piece of bread represents the Passover lamb that was given to take away the sins of the world and Jesus was that lamb. This juice represents the blood of the lamb that was painted over the doorpost of the Israelites in Egypt on the night that they were freed. And if, if they took the blood of the lamb and they spread it over their doorpost, the angel of death would come over their house and pass them by, they would pass them over. 
And they would then be free to leave their slavery through the life of the wilderness into the promised land as God told them they would. And you and I, covered in the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, the angel of death will pass over us and we will walk through this wilderness of life to the promised land following our king. And we will end up in his kingdom where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because he lets us. So today we eat and drink, not having accomplished a thing, but simply celebrating that he has given us everything we need. The Lord is our shepherd. We need nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we eat and drink today because you let us. We eat and drink today because you opened our minds and our hearts to faith. We eat today, Holy Spirit, because you brought conviction that we were sinners, rebelling against a loving, kind, benevolent king. And you led us through the truth to understand more and more every day what you have called us and created us to be. Jesus, we eat and drink today in your honor that you are the bread and the juice, that you are the body and the blood, that you are the sacrificial lamb and also our good shepherd. We celebrate together today by faith that as we eat and drink, we are remembering, simply remembering how good it is that you are our shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.